After some quiet weeks, the Cardinals finally make another move. We react to the Palacios for Kittredge trade coming up on B-Shave Daily. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shave Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. It is Friday, January 5th, 2024. And we've got a trade to break down as the St. Louis Cardinals, after some weeks of inactivity, have struck a trade for a veteran relief pitcher. What does this do for the outlook of the Cardinals pitching staff and the bullpen in particular? Are there still any spots up for grabs to where the Cardinals could make another move? And we bid a fond farewell to Richie P as Richie Palacios, the outfielder going the other way in the trade as the Cardinals pick up Andrew Kittredge from the Tampa Bay Rays, trading Palacios, who developed into a fan favorite toward the end of last season. For those Cardinals fans who decided to stick with the team and keep watching Cardinal baseball in August and September, man, you really liked Richie Palacios because he brought something to the table that was fun to watch, that was inspired in a way that some of the other play from the Cardinals last season rarely was. But you saw him as a spark plug, and he did some good things offensively, some fun and exciting things defensively, running around, doing his Richie P thing. Well, he'll be taking that act now to Florida on the Gulf Coast, where the Tampa Bay Rays will probably turn him into another American League ALCS MVP or something, right? Like, that's the the way these things go. I know that the first thing people thought probably with this trade is, oh, good grief, it's with the Rays. Like... After the Randy Rosarena deal, this is another one of those that you feel like, man, Richie Palacios, he could be untapped potential still. Are the Cardinals making a mistake in kind of giving up on him, if you will, at this point in his career? And it's not that they're giving up, right? It's important to remember every time you make a trade, it does take talent to get talent. But the Cardinals in doing this deal are giving up a 26-year-old outfielder who you finally maybe got a little bit of a glimpse of what he could do. Now, This is not the same as Randy Rosarena in that Palacios was not like a longtime Cardinal farmhand that had the prospect pedigree and just tore it up so much in the minors that you just, you wanted to see him called up and then he never got the chance because it really feels like a Rosarena. I guess I could go back and look, but I don't think a Rosarena had even as many career plate appearances with the Cardinals as Richie P did over the final couple months of this season because Rosarena had. 23 plate appearances in 2019, and then he was traded that offseason for Matthew Libertor. So you at least got a glimpse of Richie Palacios. And, like, I don't know if that makes it any better because Palacios played well when you got to see him. But the other angle on this is he was not like he he was in the Cleveland organization up until literally this past year. Like, he played AAA games with Cleveland, and then the Cardinals picked him up. And his numbers with Cleveland in AAA were 669 OPS. And then with the Cardinals, he found something, evidently. 876 OPS in Memphis, came up to the big leagues in 32 games and 102 plate appearances. Richie Palacios did a nice job in 823 OPS and six home runs in that span as well. So, I mean, if you give the guy 550 plate appearances, you think that could be a 30 home run pace. Now, I don't know that Richie Palacios is ever going to be a 30-home run guy in Major League Baseball. Maybe I'm wrong. I really like him. I thought, I said all along, he seems like a winning player and the kind of guy that I would, as the Cardinals, find a way to prioritize 
but on the roster, right? I was never saying prioritize Richie Palacios as your everyday center fielder or prioritize him in a way that allows him daily at bats. I I, I just don't think that really was going to be possible in the way the Cardinals are, are currently constructed in the outfield. You know that Lars Newbar is going to be the left fielder. You know that Jordan Walker is going to be the right fielder. It seems as though Tommy Edmond will be the center fielder. We talked in our last episode yesterday, I think it was yesterday, about the news of Edmond's October wrist surgery that we didn't previously know about until Bozalock told John Denton about it yesterday. So we talked about that. You can scroll back on your podcast feed to get that and our reaction to all things going on there. But this kind of adds another wrinkle into the outfield mixture with the news that Palacios goes to the Rays for Kittredge. So I've spent some time talking about the Palacios angle of it. Um, I guess I'll wrap up that thought as much as I can here with just explaining why I feel like Palacios was a guy that's reasonable to trade because he's got team control. The Rays enjoy that. He showed some skills and some tools that I think the Rays could utilize. But at the same time, with the three outfielders in the starting alignment that I named, plus Dylan Carlson's kind of your backup center fielder, and he can can check into that role if Tommy Edmonds should need to play shortstop. That'll depend on Mason Wynn. Like, we can do that musical chairs, and we'll talk a lot about it. But then there's other guys like, what about Alec Burleson? Like, he he plays as a sort of a quasi-fifth outfielder in this alignment in that he's going to play if he's around. He's going to get some at-bats. Maybe it's a DH capacity. Maybe he doesn't hit enough in spring to to earn a job out of camp. But if you think back to last year, his job was never in question coming into the, the regular season out of camp. Like it was a decision, according to Ollie Marmel, which I always sort of poked some fun at this, the notion that the decision came down to Juan Yepes or Dylan Carlson for the roster. And they said, yeah, Carlson's on the team because of his defensive flexibility. It's like it never should have been a question of Dylan's involvement. And that's kind of why I said, even if the Cardinals can say, no, it's not that we're not high on Dylan Carlson. Like the narratives that surrounded him as a player last year suggested they weren't that high on him. I don't know if that extended specifically to Ollie Marmel. In fact, I know it doesn't because Ollie Marmel, I had conversations with him about Dylan Carlson. and I know that he is a believer still in Dylan Carlson. Maybe upstairs, they just didn't view Dylan Carlson as at the beginning of the season, somebody that they were going to plant their flag around which is kind of weird because you can think back to the prior trade deadline and say they were really all about Dylan Carlson at that point. So, you know, whatever it is, it's just kind of this continuation of this situation for the Cardinals where they haven't been able to nail the outfield. They trade away the ones that you wish they'd kept. They keep the ones that are off injured or they maybe underperform or whatever the case might be. And round and round we go on this, on this merry-go-round where the Cardinals still don't have that thing nailed down. Is this the year where they get it nailed down? I think the corners, at least on paper, are pretty well nailed down with Newt Barr and Walker. You have to figure out defensive aspects of Walker's play in right field. Is he going to be a liability there, or can he settle in defensively and be league average defensively, and and the bat will answer the rest of your questions about him? That's ideally what will happen. Tommy Edmond, his range in center field, I've talked about thinking that's really important as to how the Cardinals are going to handle things defensively behind the pitching staff that they're building. But then it's like, well, where does Palacios fit in? He's not the number one guy to be the backup center fielder. That's Carlson. He's not really the number one guy to be the backup left fielder. It's probably Brendan Donovan, right? He's going to play a good amount. And with the DH floating around, that's going to be a way that that pans out. And the story from John Denton yesterday, he also mentioned that Moselock had said they feel good about Donovan's recovery and his readiness for spring, which I think is another important aspect of it that we touched on 
yesterday too. So then you look at it, okay, could he be, could Palacios fill in for right field very much? Well, Walker could DH a, a decent amount. Like if the defense isn't going the way that the Cardinals are hoping, maybe they shift at some point in the year and, and DH him more. But then they have to figure out the Gorman versus Donovan thing at second. You can't DH everybody. You have to try and find the way that these puzzle pieces fit together. And then there's Alec Burleson, who you probably, I guess, defensively prefer in left compared to right. Um, he does have a strong arm, but in either case, he's not a, a plus defender in the corners. But he's his bat is probably prioritized over Palacios's. Whether that's fair or not, I think that's the way the Cardinals viewed it. And again, you can talk about you know matchups and righty lefty and those sort of things. That all is going to bake into it as well. Where in in the case of Burleson, he's a left hander that you feel good about the contact and the power. And you might have been able to say, well, shoot, I mean, a guy that. In, in Palacios, that in 102 plate appearances hit six home runs. Why isn't that considered the same thing? Left-handed power. I that's a fair question. Um, and I guess you could take it a step further and say, like with Burleson, had more of a prospect pedigree than Palacios because again, Palacios was let go by the the other team that he was on, the Cleveland Guardians. Um, I don't 100 percent remember what the terms were of that trade of Palacios to the Cardinals. I guess I could look that up. Uh, it looks as though, yeah, it was just a cash trade. The Cardinals got Palacios from the Guardians last June for $100,000. Cash considerations, and Palacios ends up being a nice player. And so from that perspective, great move by the Cardinals to spend a little money last year, and then you pick up Andrew Kittredge now. You leverage your your asset of Palacios from like a business transaction standpoint did pretty well because Kittredge is a guy that I think the Cardinals at least think can help him. Now there are some concerns, I guess you could say, but nothing too crazy here. Um, it looks like for Kittredge, he'll be a free agent after the 2024 season because he's in the final year of arbitration eligibility. So I don't know exactly what he'll make in terms of a salary this year. I can't imagine it would be too substantial of a raise fair or unfair. The reasoning Behind that being that he had Tommy John surgery in 2022, carried over into the first half of 2023 when he didn't pitch. He did return to Andrew Kittredge for the Rays late last season in August in pitch fine. So like when I say concern, it's just he is coming off of a recent injury, but as a reliever did get back in the mix in 2023 toward the end of the year with 11 and two thirds innings over the course of 14 appearances a 3.09 ERA, 10 strikeouts, like pretty standardly fine stuff, a 3.43 FIP. Like not a lot to write home about just because he didn't pitch that much. But if you go back to his last full season of 2021, that was a great season by Andrew Kittredge and, and kind of his breakout year in a lot of ways was an all-star in the American League mix at 31 years old, a 1.88 ERA in 57 games, a career high, 71 in two-thirds innings, with 77 strikeouts. So the idea that he's not a strikeout guy, over the course of his career, he's been darn close to having a K per inning. It's just the last couple of years. He pitched 20 innings before Tommy John in 2022, only 14 strikeouts. Then this season, he came back at the very end, 11 innings, 10 strikeouts. So nothing really crazy there, but 214 career innings, 206 strikeouts. I continue to highlight the the, the swing and miss stuff, whether a guy can be added to this bullpen and have a, a nice K rate because I do think it ends up being important to how the Cardinals fill out the rest of their bullpen and and what they're really looking for, I think, from those back-end relief guys, because we've talked a lot about the starting rotation, maybe not packing as much of the swing and miss 
as you might have hoped it would when the offseason began. But the Cardinals, of course, maybe went in a bit of a different direction than we expected them to go with those openings in the rotation. We knew the Cardinals were looking to sign multiple guys or bring in multiple guys, whether that was via trade or via free agent signing. And they did. They just went for a couple of tried and true veterans in Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn, one of whom in Gibson is not really a strikeout guy. The other one, Lynn, certainly can be. And before he was traded to the Dodgers last year was, I mean, he had, I think a higher K rate than most other years in his career with the White Sox. The problem was the ERA was ballooned well above six or seven or whatever it was. And then he had like a 4.3 ERA with the Dodgers the last couple of months and the K rate sort of went south. So when the Cardinals are looking to, and of course, Sonny Gray, I think is going to be a solid strikeout guy. I, I Depending on what you think of how he'll fill out as the ace, if you will, of the Cardinals rotation, that might kind of color your thinking on, on whether they have enough in the rotation when it comes to strikeout, we know that Michaelis doesn't strike guys out. Steven Matz certainly can at times, but um, maybe nothing overwhelming. But, like, that's the rotation that you're looking at. So if you don't go overboard with the K-rate stuff in your rotation, maybe you're looking to prioritize that a little bit more with the relief pitchers that you pick up. That would have been the thought process. And the Cardinals have certainly gotten some raw materials. You think of the Ryan Fernandez move in the Rule 5 draft, Nick Robertson, was acquired for Tyler O'Neill from Boston. Both those guys came from the Red Sox, and those are a couple of righties. You, you bring back Zuniga. You bring back Wilkin Rodriguez on a minor league deal, so he'll have a chance in spring training to be able to prove his health and, and show that what the Cardinals saw in him last year is worthwhile. So like you have a lot of these guys that are possibilities to maybe show some swing and miss stuff, but do they have major league stuff? sort of remains to be seen. I think with Kittredge, the reason you like the move is you don't have to wonder if he's got major league stuff. He's he's done it for seven years, and outside of one season in 2018, he's always had a pretty respectable ERA, pretty respectable numbers overall. Um, back in 2018, he had a 7.75 ERA in 33 games. Don't really know what happened there, and, and the strikeout rate wasn't good. But that was like, he was a, had to have been a different pitcher back then because you can look, got better the next year. The COVID year had good numbers, but only pitched eight innings because it, maybe he had some injury. I haven't gone through the entire like history of the guy at this point, but it was really the breakout, the full season of 2021, where it's like, okay, this guy could be a, a back-end type of reliever. He finished 15 games for the Tampa Bay Rays that year and had eight saves, so like he was being used in his all-star season as kind of a leverage guy uh, with the opportunities that he got, and he threw 71 innings, so... Had the Tommy John, came back. I think it's important that he comes back in 2023, back in August, and you see him kind of look the way that he did before and at least have that proof of concept that, like, okay, he's about the same guy that he's been. Like, there's nothing glaring, at least in the numbers, that would suggest post-injury and post-surgery he's not going to be as effective of a pitcher. The other part of it that you do look at, though, is he was kind of a late bloomer. He's 33 years old and will turn... 34 in March. So he'll be 34 years old the first time he throws a real pitch as part of this Cardinal bullpen. What do you think of it, Cardinals fans? Let me know in the YouTube comment section below. Uh, this is the first time I'm mentioning, but please subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you enjoy Cardinals content like this, we analyze, we discuss everything going on with the St. Louis Cardinals throughout the year. Please do subscribe on YouTube and go ahead and subscribe to Be Shape Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well if you like listening on those avenues. But I'm curious for the comments as to the reaction with this trade because I 
in terms of like what I thought the Cardinals would get, Andrew Kittredge makes a ton of sense. I didn't know if it would come via trade or via free agent reliever that they would fill some spot in the bullpen with a right-hander, but I, I knew that it was going to come. And I figured that it was going to come from a guy that has some late-inning leverage type of experience. And Kittredge fits the billing on that as well with what he did in 2021. Now, I don't know, looking back to last season when he came back late for the Rays, that was a team that was obviously playoff-bound. Um, he finished six games, but only one save. So those were situations where maybe they were easing him back in. He was never really their closer per se, but they eased him back into some of those later inning opportunities that maybe the games weren't that close, that the Rays could have been up big or down big, and that's why you don't end up seeing the save. But certainly a guy that, when you talk about seventh, eighth, ninth inning, Andrew Kittredge has been trusted in those roles previously. He's got some experience in those roles, which I think is valuable when you bring him onto the Cardinals, assuming that, you know, health is is good, which guys after Tommy John, you don't typically have to think too much about their health. It's more before they need the surgery, you worry that they might need it. Well, he's already had it. And he's now, you know, not quite a year removed from the recovery, but a year removed from the surgery because he had the surgery late in 2022, if I'm not mistaken, because he came back in August of 2023. So he's gotten that under his belt. What's the performance going to look like? What are the stats going to look like? What's the stuff going to look like? Kind of remains to be seen, but I think it's a sensible addition when you consider the blueprint and like the, the archetype that the Cardinals would have been looking for. And clearly they've got a type, right? It's older guys, veteran pitchers um, with, with Lance Lynn coming in, Kyle Gibson coming in. I think both those guys are 36 years old. If I recall correctly, Sonny Gray going to be pitching in his age 34 season. And now Kittredge, Part of that, though, like, I'm curious to hear about what the Cardinals know of Kittredge's, like, role in the bullpen in the clubhouse as a veteran. Because he's a guy that's been around the block, but really only has had one prominent full-time year of being one of the dudes for a good quality bullpen. That's still more than than many could say that they have, because he was the absolute dude with a 188 ERA in 2021 in 71 innings, and he was an all-star in the American League. But... What do the Cardinals know and what did they know before they acquired Andrew Kittredge about the guy he can be in the clubhouse and sort of the the guide he can be to that bullpen and the, and the mentorship and things of that nature? Because obviously that was something the Cardinals found important at the outset of the offseason when they picked up Lynn and Gibson and, and Sonny Gray, I think, fits right into that. So I'll be curious and we'll get a chance to ask Mo about this within the next week and a half or so. Maybe they have a press conference even before the winter warm-up, but if not, that'll be the opportunity to really kind of dig in on on this move and any other moves the Cardinals should make between now and then. But I do think in the case of Kittredge, it's exactly the type of move I would have figured the Cardinals would make. I can't tell you I had his name circled specifically because when it comes to these relievers, it, it probably depends on like, okay, what teams do you have a relationship with that you're going to be able to make the right trade? Well, we know the Cardinals have pre-existing relationship with the Rays and they probably love trading with the Cardinals because well, the, the the big one that we're all thinking of definitely did pan out in favor of Tampa. But I give Mo a little bit of credit here. Like, this is a style of trade on its surface that you could say, this could come back to haunt the Cardinals. Like, not to say that Palacios and Rosarena are the same, because they're not. I, I articulated a little bit why at the beginning of the show today. But it, it does on the surface, if you just go, oh, you know, early, mid-20-something outfielder for a pitcher from Tampa, you're like, well, what if it just happened again? What if the Cardinals made the same mistake? And I would say, like, it's possible that they did, 
because you look at the major league numbers that 100 plate appearances that Palacios had last year, they were very good. Granted, it was kind of down the stretch where a lot of teams run down and and is that replicable in terms of his production? At 823 OPS, no matter how you slice it, is very good. If the Cardinals could have a, a nine-man lineup where everybody has an OPS of 823, I almost don't care, and maybe different analytically-minded people would agree or disagree with this, but I almost don't care how you come to that 823 OPS. You could have a 515 slug the way the Palacios did with you know the the maybe a little lower on base, or you can have a, a robust on-base percentage and not slug that much. It doesn't really matter. I think if you had 823 across the board, you would be cooking with gas. I would have to imagine that that would have been across MLB last year, one of the highest OPSs you like as a team. I doubt there's anybody that had a OPS that high, even the Atlanta Braves. I'm going to maybe eat my words on that. Nope. Damn it. The Atlanta Braves did. <laughs> they they were 845 on their OPS. Just as, just as soon as the words got out of my mouth, I sorted it on MLB.com and saw that the Braves were the one team that does qualify with that. The Dodgers last year had a 795 team OPS. It's unbelievable that the Atlanta Braves didn't win the World Series. Man, I thought coming into the playoffs that they were going to be unstoppable. And, uh, well, they were stopped. But 845 OPS at lead baseball last year. Palacios had an 823 OPS. Small sample. Did his previous stops. I mean, obviously, Cleveland didn't see that coming. Because if they did, I don't think you'd give him up for $100,000. He was OPSing below 700 in AAA. But maybe it was just a guy that needed a change of scenery and an opportunity. And the Cardinals uh, were the place that he was able to get that. But if you're the Cardinals, is it like a little bit of nothing ventured, nothing gained? Like knowing that if you just look at the entire trade tree, a shot at Andrew Kittredge, who's a veteran reliever and is proven when he was healthy for basically $100,000. Like if you look at it that way, since hundred k is what you gave up to get Palacios in the first place, it's just easy come, easy go, right? And, and I think with outfielders in particular, it might be easier for the Cardinals to have it be that way because of how stocked they are at the the spots, which is not to say, like, I didn't even like the way that that came out of my mouth because it's not like all of the guys in their outfield mix are proven and you feel great about them all. I think there are question marks with several of them, but I think we know who's going to be there. Like, they have made their bed, and now they're going to go lie in it and see how the guys that they're backing this year perform. It's no different than any other year. It's just that in, in recent years, we have struggled to see the Cardinals hit on those decisions. Like in the case of last year, it was we're going to back Tyler O'Neill to be an everyday guy. And not only that, but we're going to say that he can be the center fielder to begin the year. And it just it did not work out. You know, he, he didn't look comfortable in center. They kind of abandoned that alignment rather quickly. I think he only played 10 games or something in center field. If you go back and look, it's kind of a crazy low number for the amount that we ended up talking about that narrative. But then even in terms of like, I won't even get into like the base running thing and the, the thing with Ollie Marmel. But with Tyler O'Neill, it was like the numbers weren't great and he couldn't stay on the field. And when he had a back ailment that you thought would keep him out for a couple of weeks, like a men's stay on the IL, he was out for three months. Like those are the things that tell you at the end of the day, the Cardinals did not back the right horse with Tyler O'Neill, and they have definitively decided that that was the case and they shipped him off. And it was, it's not that they're not excited about the couple of pitchers that they got for him, but it was like they were going to ship him off regardless of what the return was. Like that's the point to which it got in my eyes. So now you're looking at who are they backing going into this year? Newt Barr, I feel like, is a, a quality candidate to back. Jordan Walker, I think you, you, it's not controversial to say he's a quality candidate to back. I really do expect his offensive game with a year of major league play under his belt at age 21, like 20 slash 21, 
he got that kind of experience, it's going to it's going to do volumes for what he can do moving forward. I, I expect big things from him this year at the plate. Makes sense to back both those guys. Now in center, I like the Edmund thing is of course tied to the Mason Win thing, and I still said that if the Cardinals could get left-handed power that could play plus defense or or even solid defense in center field, that that might be the guy on the free agent market or in the trade market that you try to take a look and maybe go get. And then what gets tricky with that is, well, Richie Palacios was already on your team and could he, he filled in in center field. He started seven games there for the Cardinals last year. And it's kind of hard to get defensive metrics anyway. Like there are people who say, I don't really look at defensive metrics at all because I trust the eye test more, uh, especially it's difficult to do when you have a limited sample size, but it looks like he was plus one on defensive runs saved. So I don't know, like maybe he's a decent fielder. Like I liked what he did to my eyes. I especially liked the way that he just flat out got after it, whether he was in left or in center. I can't remember specifically where some of his most prominent catches were made, but he had a few and, and some nice plays in the outfield. So like I could get on board with him generally as an outfielder, but the problem is you're anchored to the preconceived notions that you have. And I think the Cardinals are especially guilty of this. And I'm not even saying that they're wrong in this case, but like you can think back to how trades like the Arosa Reina deal happened in the first place. It's because their preconceived notion at the time of what needed to happen at the big league level was like, you know, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, you know, whomever else was around there for the Cardinals. Dexter Fowler was still on the team, of course, at that time. And in his case, it's not that they had a preconceived notion that Dexter Fowler was amazing. It was like, we paid Dexter Fowler all this money. He's going to get one of the starting spots in the outfield, barring something crazy. And so they, you know, were kind of stuck in that spot. You know, Lane Thomas was still on the team in 2020. And what's really frustrating, I think, for Cardinals fans is like a lot of the names that I just said, save for Dexter Fowler, who, you know, unfortunately tore his ACL quickly after getting to the Los Angeles Angels. And so we didn't see him do anything after his Cardinals career. But like Lane Thomas was one of the guys that played in 2020 along with Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill and Dexter Fowler, where you may not have seen him if a Rosa Reina was still around. And maybe those opportunities could have gone to a Rosa Reina, but did the Cardinals have a preconceived notion that a Rosa Reina is more of like a corner outfielder, probably couldn't play a great center and Lane Thomas could maybe play center field more and it'd be a backup for Harrison Bader in center field. Like, what were the preconceived notions that the Cardinals had at the time? Of course, Dylan Carlson also burst onto the scene in 2020. And so the Cardinals decided like, well, I mean, we we have all these guys that are vying for spots. There's really no way to get a Rosa Reina in. If we think all these other guys are just a little bit higher in the pecking order. Those, those are the spots where the Cardinals have gotten it so wrong. It, and it's, I don't even know how you can as a fan or as the public say like, Oh, I would have gotten it right for sure. We all remember who we were kind of backing at the time if we were looking into the minor league annals and kind of taking a look at what was next to come. Like, I can recall thinking Rosarena should have played more in 2019 when Jairo Munoz was occasionally playing the outfield for the Cardinals. And I was like, that should never, ever happen. I said so on whatever podcast I was doing at the time. But the Cardinals had whatever internal data they had or whatever. Like, even if it's not what the Cardinals had, we could look in the public and say, well, who was ranked higher in different prospect rankings? Sometimes you might see other guys like O'Neill was was ranked before he came on a number of years before 2020. Harrison Bader was was kind of peaking to to prospect ranks, but not really 
often a top 100 guy. Dylan Carlson certainly was, though. Um, Lane Thomas had a skill set that people thought could play. Like, all these guys were in the same bucket, and the Cardinals just didn't organize the bucket quite the way that people wish they would have, because if they would have, maybe a Rosarena and that deal never would have happened. We don't really know still to this day. I mean, it's been talked about, and Mo has addressed it at different times, but it, it seems even when he addresses it, he doesn't remember the exact nature of those conversations. Although if they were my trade that I made and traded away the ALCS MVP or whatever Rosarena has gone on to do, I probably would remember it and it wouldn't be able to sleep because of those conversations. Like if there was a moment where it was like, yeah, we'll take Tyler O'Neill or a Rosarena, whichever. <laughs> like if that moment ever happened, you go, oh no, like that was your out. That was the, which again, O'Neill had had good seasons and we've seen even since then from Tyler O'Neill good seasons, right? Like he had good pedigree and then he was eighth place finisher in the MVP vote in 2021 after all this went down. So what I was getting to, and then I talked my way around not being able to get to it specifically when I say the frustration is like the Cardinals had all these guys in a bucket and you could arrange them any way that you want to. A Rosarena probably should have been higher in the bucket or higher in the tier. However, this was, was considered back in the day. But the truth of the matter is, like, all of these guys basically have gone on to do things that you would want to have happen on your team. The problem is they keep happening for other teams. And, you know, I didn't even mention Adolis Garcia as part of this um, because he was another guy that, like a Rosarena, just didn't get opportunity. Like, he's another guy that didn't play at all in 2019. Played in 2018 for an Rosarena amount of time, but then didn't get the call up at all the next year. And so the Cardinals had all these guys in the bucket. But it's like, well, Lane Thomas... Didn't produce with the Cardinals when he was gone. Now he is is turned into a nice outfielder, big league outfielder. Do we get elsewhere? We'll see if Tyler O'Neill is added to that. Harrison Bader maybe the exception, but he's the guy they backed and backed and backed until they couldn't anymore because they felt like, you know, the injuries were piling up. We could maybe go a different direction in center field. And this Jordan Montgomery guy would be pretty good. Like, that was a good trade, objectively. But even Bader is now getting a $10 million contract for one year with the Mets. That's a deal that was just signed within the last couple of days. And obviously we mentioned Adolis Garcia trying to go through all the names in my head, a Rosarena, like all the guys in that area that you could have sorted through have all basically gone on to do good things elsewhere. They just didn't do it with the Cardinals or it, it just never re really reached the apex with the Cardinals where you, where you say, yes, this is the guy we extend on a contract and he's going to be in the outfield roaming around for the next five to seven years. That step is the one the Cardinals, I think, have been longing for with some of these guys, and it's just never gotten to that point. And Carlson is the one they kept of that group. Obviously, he was a little bit later than all of this, although not too much so, because by the time he arrived in 2020, that was the offseason proceeding where the, the moves went down, and Arena was gone, and I, and I think in the case of Adalas Garcia as well, that happened in the same offseason. So that's just the run of it for the Cardinals at this point. They had all these guys in an order. They end up maybe going the wrong way with it. But the question would then be, is Palacios the next mistake of that? Because of the versatility he brings defensively, could you see an argument? And like offensively, if he's an 800 OPS guy, which he probably isn't, but if he is over the course of his major league career, this ends up going down as an all-time boo-boo, just like the Arena deal did. And that guy with Libertor is still in the organization. He might be a really good reliever this year. You still lost the trade. I, th I think it's been long enough, and even though Libertor's still a young guy that could still have a long major league career ahead of him, 
it just still feels like there's no way around the fact that the Cardinals didn't get the better end of that deal at this point. In the case of Palacios for Kittredge, there is even more downside because the upside for Palacios is he's still in his mid-20s and then could be a, a mainstay outfielder in the big leagues for a good long while doing some of the things that he flashed in St. Louis, whereas Kittredge is 34 years old and a free agent to be after the upcoming season. So, you know, what, what ends up being the, the way that that one lays out, that's where the risk comes in. Because even though I don't think that Palacios ever had the Rosarena pedigree as a prospect coming up, you did see an example at the big league level of what he could do, and you traded him for a guy that, well, I think he does help you in the immediate. I think Kittredge is what the Cardinals were looking for. Does he help you in the long term? I, I, I guess if you resign him or extend him at a certain point, that could be the case. But it's like a, it's a possibility that you did trade away a guy that's going to be doing some good things for the Rays for years to come. Whereas this is a shot at, hey, really, we're trying to fix twenty twenty four. Maybe Kittredge can help be a right-handed piece in the bullpen um, that leads toward that, which I, I think is a reasonable goal. It's just a question of, like, was there another way, I guess, to do it? And in reality, maybe not one that's as, as sensible as this one because Palacios being on the 40-man, like, you're going to have to send somebody off the 40-man if you trade a prospect for Kittredge. And in this case, or, or even just another minor leaguer for Kittredge. And in this case, you don't have to lose anybody. I don't even know if the Cardinals 40 man is full. I think it is, but at any rate, it's going to be full by the time you get to spring training, like, or, or you leave spring training for sure. It's going to be full. So in that way, the Cardinals, you know, we're going to have to clear a spot anyway. Was Palacios at risk of being DFA'd? I, I don't think so. Again, you like the skill set, but when you just look at the line, he's in line probably fifth or sixth, and that's just a hard place to be. So best thing for his career is probably this trade because I think the Rays are going to probably give him every opportunity to maybe do something with that team, especially if they end up trading a Rosarena. Like that was scuttlebutt earlier in the offseason that the Rays could actually look to flip a Rosarena at this point. And I would have thought, well, maybe that's difficult to do. He's great, obviously, but you're going to have to start paying him. And that's maybe something historically the Rays do not like to do, but they like to try and churn and, and and stay relevant by making these really savvy deals. They traded Luke Rayleigh, I think, another guy in that kind of first base outfield mix. And if they trade a Rosarena, that really could clear the deck for Palacios to actually get some run. And if that should come to fruition, it would be kind of bizarre to have the a Rosarena trade happen and then the Cardinals give the Rays their a Rosarena replacement via Richie Palacios. I don't think it's quite to that level. If you were to look at some of like the the fan graphs or the the different places that do projections, I would imagine that Palacios won't get a ton of love. But somebody in the Razor organization seems to think he projects quite well because they found a way to land him. I am very intrigued to see what ends up happening with Palacios. I hope he gets opportunity. Um, the Cardinals, the way they come to regret it is if Burleson's bat isn't what they thought it was and if Carlson can't stay healthy and kind of rebound, because there's no reason that the fifth outfielder, or I'm sorry, even the fourth outfielder couldn't have been Palacios. You decide, I'll trade Dylan Carlson for Andrew Kittredge. Now, people would have lost their minds because Dylan Carlson has a prospect pedigree, and people are sort of hoping that that he still pans out into something. And look, I like Dylan Carlson as a player. If I had to bet on one future or the other right now today, I'd bet on Carlson over Palacios, but that being said, I could be wrong. You look at major league production, at least this past year, Palacios was the better hitter. Um, much smaller sample, of course. But, like, 
the reality is the sunk cost fallacy, you, you start to get kind of baked into what, what your priors were. And the priors on Dylan Carlson are like, well, he was a top prospect. You can't possibly just decide to keep, you know, Palacios, who wasn't really a prospect at all, and you got for 100K, you can't keep him over Carlson. So it makes sense that the guy you have to trade is Palacios. That very well may be the exact right answer. I'm, and, and in this case, you guys know I like Carlson. Whoever has listened to this show for long enough knows I'm, I've been in D.C.'s corner as much as I possibly can be to the extent that I get, you know, get get poked fun at by various people about that um, with the, the hashtag Everyday Dylan stuff. But I look at this and, and bring it up for the reason of, like, that is the mindset that got the Cardinals into the Rosarena trade in the first place. It's not to say that it just happened again, but that mindset of, like, well, yeah, Rosarena has this great triple a season but like these other guys were higher on our prospect lists or you know we just don't really need a rosarena right now let's find a way to 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 utilize that asset and maybe get something that we could use like a really good young stud pitching prospect and hey a lefty to boot that throws mid to upper 90s like it made sense on paper as to why they did that that one didn't work out great this one could work out splendidly like palacios could go back to being a 670 OPS guy at the AAA level, and you'll go, all right, Cardinals, at least they took a stab at a reliever who's proven. But it is interesting that that specific mindset, I think, is how the Arena trade happened in the first place. It is the mindset that led to Adolis Garcia leaving the organization as well. But all in all, I don't want to be too negative on it. I feel like if I end on a negative note, people are going to say, oh, yeah, Brennan's ripping the Cardinals. Like, I don't think you ripped the Cardinals for this trade. I, I think if you were honest with yourself about what the depth chart would be coming into the year, I said it all the while. I would love to find Palacios a spot on the bench, but he's the last guy on the bench. Offers nice versatility. But in reality, if you're trying to fit Burleson on that roster and you're trying to fit Tommy Edmond into the center field job, that probably means you need to have another infielder on your bench to be able to cover for some of the spots that maybe Brendan Donovan isn't going to cover for with him floating around and doing God knows what. So like, I, I can see exactly why the Cardinals made this trade. It's a very much typical type of move to see them make because they feel like they took something extra and turned it into something that they didn't feel they had. And that is what you're supposed to be doing here. It's just, is this the time that they got it right? And they don't have to come to regret trading away a guy whose tools were fun, whose personality was fun and did some nice things for you over a small sample. Let me know Cardinals fans. If you see this one, the way that I do, if you're upset about the deal, if you really thought Richie P would be a guy that, when all the dust settled next year and, and injuries took place, he was really going to have a chance to emerge. Or if you kind of thought, ah, Palacios was, was a nice flash in the pan, but maybe Oscar Mercado 2.0 and wasn't going to kind of elevate to the level that means you shouldn't trade him for a, a former all-star reliever that you could potentially use to beef up that bullpen. The bullpen side of it is what I want to end on. I can sort of update my projections that I did in a recent episode of the podcast on what the Cardinal bullpen would look like. For now, I still stand by what I said about the left side in that episode, which you could go back a, a couple of videos or two, two or three or four videos, whatever it was, and get my full take on projecting the Cardinal bullpen. You would just add Kittredge into it, honestly. But on the left side, I had said JoJo Romero is going to be a late-inning threat. You're going to have one of Zach Thompson and Matthew Libertor turned into a reliever, and then the other left-hander spot could be John King as long as thing go, uh, things go well for him, I should say, in spring training. The other way that that could play out is if they decide both Thompson and Libby need to be relievers rather than stash one of them in the AAA rotation or, you know, whether they're needed in the big league rotation, that would be honestly not what you're looking for. 
um, given that it would mean probably some injuries to other guys before then. But if that were the case, then John King might be on the outside looking in to begin the season, and he could be in AAA. But like three lefties, and then to me, you're talking five righties. Helsley, Gallegos, now you've got Kittredge. We know that Ryan Fernandez is in that group as well, the guy that was the Rule 5 pickup from Boston, and then that leaves just one spot in the bullpen at this point with where things stand. Could that mean Phil's, Phil Maton or, or one of the other veteran relievers that the Cardinals could go to sign? That would certainly say they mean business about trying to make everything happen and improving this bullpen and, and making the pitching staff something to be proud of. But I think you could still accomplish that via giving a Riley O'Brien the guy you acquired from the Mariners a shot in spring or giving, you know, some of the other non-roster guys like you brought Wilking Rodriguez back. Some of those names, um, Nick Robertson from the O'Neill trade. One spot for a right reliever. Maybe that's Andre Pallante as the utility guy that I talked about last time. That would be my leading candidate unless they wanted him to stretch out. Like I could see an example of me and Thompson and Libby just look so good that we need them both on our team. Like if that's how they look in spring, they're two lefties in your bullpen. JoJo is the other one. John King goes to the Memphis bullpen to begin because he does have an option. And you stretch out Palante, and he's in your AAA rotation. Like, it could go that way as well and have him be a guy that maybe he's vying for an opportunity if there is an injury. I don't know if that would be preferable to folks compared to having Zach Thompson available as a starter or whatever the case might be. But these are just some iterations that I think I would be kind of paying attention to. Um, or at least imagining could take place before we head to Jupiter in just a few weeks at this point. Honestly, it's a little more than a month away. I think my report date is like a day or so after the Cardinals report date. So I'll be down there like February 13th or something like that, I think is the plan. So lots to come from me and from this channel when it comes to Cardinals baseball. So please do subscribe if you enjoy the content. Thank you guys so much for helping me make it happen. And subscribe, follow everywhere that you uh, that you can get B-Shafe Daily. Makes my life easier. All right, that's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shafe Daily. Peace. <laughs>